Hello. Hello. And welcome back to Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we are doing our first two-parter. Woo! <laughs> uh, it did not start like that. <laughs> and <laughs> I have just fallen down a massive hole here. And have found out so much more than what I originally knew about the case that we'll be covering. So episode seven is actually going to be a two-parter. And we'll leave you on a cliffhanger here, so I'm very sorry about that. But bear with us, because it is definitely a good case. (laughs) Somebody's going to have to get Peyton out of this hole. Fish her out. Yeah. (laughs) I, uh, (laughs) I definitely, I knew about the story that we'll be covering, and I had heard a different podcast episode about it. I'll actually talk a little bit about this, too, but it happens somewhere close to home, I'll say, but not in Michigan. (laughs) I definitely did a lot of, you know, digging in articles, but a lot of my information comes from the book I found, Perfect Husband, The True Story of the Trusting Bride Who Discovered Her Husband Was a Cold-Blooded Killer by Gary Provost. So I'm sure that... Kind of gives some information away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess let's set the scene, dive into this here. We are going to be talking about Lisa Paspalakis today. And if that didn't sound crazy Greek to you, you must not know a lot of Greeks. Lisa is the only daughter of a young Greek-American And her father was an immigrant from Greece. He married her mother, Mary, in Greece. And eventually they settled in Daytona Beach. Lisa has one little brother, Dino, who is the light of her life. And her father's name is Stino. The reason I say this is close to home is I am very Greek. My grandma is 100% Greek. And actually her family's rooted in Daytona Beach. They live outside of Daytona. Her brother's still down there. Lisa Paspalakis and her family were actually family friends. I'll kind of set the scene and talk a little bit about it, but there's a very big Greek community in Daytona Beach, or at least there was at this time, which was the late 80s, early 90s. And they all knew each other. They were all family. They were all friends. They all went to St. Demetrios, a Greek Orthodox church in Daytona Beach. People are very involved in the church. According to my family, rumor has it, my great-great-great-grandfather or his brother was one of the founders of St. Demetrius. So my family has a lot of roots down there. Lisa and her family, actually, well, her parents owned an arcade located on the boardwalk at Daytona Beach. It was called Joyland Amusement Center. Fun fact, it is still there. Lisa graduated summa cum laude at the University of Florida, South Tampa, 
and actually stayed in Tampa after that working for one of the big eight accounting firms for about a year before her father basically told her to come home and work for the arcade. If anyone has seen My Big Fat Greek Wedding, I joke that that's very much accurate and very much like my life growing up and I wasn't even married into or born into a 100% Greek family. My grandma was and she was very much raised that way, but very patriarchal society. Men, you know, essentially ruled the family. Lisa had been working at the arcade since she was about 16. And when she graduated, she tried to kind of get away a little bit, but family business called her back home. Her family was pretty well off and she really didn't want for much. When she was about 25, she was introduced to a man through her aunt and her family wanted her to meet a good Greek man. (laughs) And again, I'll reference my big fat Greek wedding. Sydney, have you ever seen it? I have, yes. Okay, so the family was very disappointed that she was not marrying a Greek man. Of course. This is very much (laughs) this type of community that they're in. They want her, she's a nice Greek woman, to marry a nice Greek man, settle down and have 100% Greek babies. (laughs) And uh, that was actually the life my great-grandpa wanted for my grandma. (laughs) Newsflash, she did not marry a nice Greek man, but we are very fortunate she did not because my grandpa is the best. (laughs) So this man, Lisa, met his name, we'll call him Costa, but it's Constantine Fotopoulos. Fotopoulos, yes. Thank God you can pronounce these names. I was genuinely concerned. I was reading this and I was like, oh, man. Did you hear how easy I said Paspalakis? Yeah, I I cringed a little bit. I was like, man, I don't know how she said that. I was practicing. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I typed it all out and I was like, actually, Photopolis. What? Uh, You know, Greek names all have very similar sounds in them, so it was pretty easy for me. But again, I grew up with that. That's true. For me, it was just like looking at something that just has so many letters in it that don't belong there. You're like, where are all these O's coming from? Yes. So Lisa met Costa, what we'll call him. He was a Greek immigrant through her aunt, like I mentioned. Costa's family, you know, wasn't poor. They were still a little well off, but they definitely weren't as comfortable or wealthy as Lisa's family by any means. He was very good looking, smart, and charming. Lisa was immediately interested, but they kind of both weren't looking for anything serious. They spent the next few weeks really seeing each other quite often, going on many dates, and really getting to know each other. Costa, his family, was still mostly in Greece, but he had a few uncles in the U.S. And actually in high school, came to Chicago to finish school. After he graduated college, he transferred to a school in Florida. He was going to become a flight engineer. There's really good pilot school and 
airplane school, essentially, <laughs> and Embry-Riddle in Daytona Beach, and that's where he was going. He was working on getting his master's. So that's why he was in Daytona. Like I said, they were going out often. And honestly, Lisa was really starting to fall for this man. She was feeling a lot of pressure from her family. And they really started getting serious after a while. However, (laughs) since day one, in my opinion, Costa was a little shady. When him and Lisa got together... He had he had let Lisa know that he was living, you know, his living situation wasn't ideal. He had a bunch of roommates. And one of those roommates was his ex-girlfriend, Deborah. Supposedly still lived in the house, but she had moved out of his room into her own room. I say supposedly. If you were to see, that was in air quotes. Costa and Lisa, pretty quickly, only after a few months of seeing each other, actually got engaged. They right away were starting to plan a wedding for the following January. It was about summertime at this point. In the meantime, not long after they got engaged, Costa's ex, Deborah, becomes pregnant. She starts telling everyone it's Costa's. And he absolutely denies it. He said they broke up, that she was seeing other people, and she just wanted to claim that Costa was the father So she had a nice Greek man as her baby. Lisa 100% believes him. She puts her trust in this man. He's very charming. He's very good with words. She's just 100% believes him and doesn't doubt him. And she really, you know, thinks that Deborah would be making it up because he is such a good man. Well, to get him out of this living situation, they were still planning this big wedding in January. But in October of 1985, they essentially rushed and got married in front of a justice of a peace and then still had this big wedding in January so they could still move in together. Very religious, so if you weren't married, you couldn't be living together kind of situation. Lisa was completely smitten. She was super excited that she married Costa. They were very much like an affectionate lovey-dovey type of relationship and he fit in really well with the family he was a charmer funny always tried to make her parents and aunts and uncles feel super special as well and honestly he was pretty fortunate because essentially he married rich goals right there goals (laughs) goals yeah uh After they got married, he went and bought, like, a black BMW, like, brand new BMW. (laughs) That's what I would do, too. I mean, come on. One of his wedding, the wedding gifts he received from Lisa's father, Stino, was actually a Rolex. Like, welcome to the family. Here's a Rolex. (laughs) What a joke. So jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Costa was super excited about this because... You know, he had a lot of his own business plans and schemes. He's constantly trying to, like, think of quick businesses where, you know, they could not get rich quick. But he was just thinking of all these types of ideas that he could, you know, make a lot of money. But he wasn't really detailed. And every time Lisa and him kind of, I wouldn't say bickered, they joked a lot, especially those first couple years. 
that was her biggest complaint. She he, she just really didn't think he thought those things through, didn't have enough detail, and wasn't in depth. He basically was really interested in just, like, the whole overview and not actually doing it thorough plans. And so some issues started to kind of arise because Stino, Lisa's father, wasn't really interested in buying into any of this. In the meantime, Costa, who's pretty upset that, you know, he is the man of the house and his wife is providing for them, he starts working in the arcade. He was doing repairs, making changes, making change, and doing a lot of, like, small, odd jobs. But he was kind of also upset he wasn't an owner. He was actually just an employee there. Stina was very adamant that just because Costa and Lisa were married did not make him inheritor of that arcade. Lisa and her brother Dino were the only ones. Meanwhile, Costa's still out here buying new walk cars, new watches. He's, he's the type of man that, like, he wants to look the part, right? So he finally finds this old restaurant, and he wanted to buy it. And he needed his father-in-law to kind of front the money for it. It would have been like a Denny's and run it 24-7. He wanted to redo it. Lisa was against it. She didn't think he was really... She w- He wasn't putting in a lot of detail and thoughts. He was half-assing so, in it. Yeah, he was just kind of looking at the surface level, we'll say. <laughs> he wanted the money, but he didn't want to work for it. Exactly. And he really wasn't thinking of all the things that would really go into running a restaurant 24-7. He kind of didn't really pay attention to, like, rules and regulations Almost that he had, like, a very arrogant way about him that, you know, he thought he was always right and he was kind of above the law and those rules and regulations. He would never say that, but that's how he behaved. (laughs) So, Costa finally goes to Stino, his father-in-law, and he wants him to buy in, you know, be an investor in this idea. He's super pumped. He's really excited about it. He really wants this. And Stino rejected it. Costa was super upset, and he was actually traveling, visiting his family in Greece at the time, and he had called with these business plans. When he returned, Sino actually gave him $10,000 and told him to make something of it as a comforting gesture. <laughs> he just gave him $10,000, like, oh, I'm sorry I turned on your business plan. Here's ten grand. Make something of that. That's insane. This is the family he married into. Like, you haven't made it. <laughs> Your idea sucks, but I'm going to give you an allowance so you can figure it out. Literally. <laughs> Five weeks after Costa tries to get Sino to buy into this plan, Sino suddenly dies. The morning of Costa actually becoming an official U.S. citizen, because he was an immigrant, he was here on a a visa originally, Sino woke up and, you know, he was looking forward to this day, like, counting down. He was so excited for his son-in-law, you know, Sino had become an American citizen, and it was a big deal to him. So, he was super pumped, and he woke up, and he was in a lot of pain. And a lot of pain in, like, his side and his back. 
He was still trying to push through it, went to the ceremony in Deland, which is a, a town a couple towns over, essentially, where the whole ceremony was being held. And he kind of pushed through. They go leave, and he they get into the restaurant parking lot to, you know, go to lunch and celebrate. And he is just in so much pain. Lisa basically tells him, like, look, if you're in a lot of pain, we got to go. And she claims, like, her father was always one that, like, you know, oh, I'm fine. Don't worry about me kind of guy. This is big old school Greek man, you know, <laughs> he's really not having that. But he, when she said that, like, we'll just leave, he looked at her and said, okay, let's go. And so she starts to drive him to the hospital in Deland, so the closest one. They pull up and he's like, you know, I feel okay right now. It's kind of subsided a little bit. Let's go see my doctor in Daytona. So they drive the 20 minutes back, get there, doctor's out to lunch. Lisa's just not having it. She does not want to wait a few more hours. And so she drives him to the next town over, which is Ormond Beach. And the doctor really said, like, okay, you know, it looks like maybe he bumped himself in the night, yourself in the night. Just get some rest. That was the night of the Greek festival. Sydney, have you ever been to a Greek festival? I have not. Can you take me to one? <laughs> yes, I absolutely can. There is like... I was going to say, do they have Saganaki on a stick? Not on a stick, but they do uh, have Saganaki and lots of other Greek foods. So there is a Greek Orthodox church not too far. We can go. <laughs> I'm pretty I sure have, that they have those like near me, but I've never gone probably because I don't think anyone besides <laughs> like, like, no offense. I don't want that to come off the wrong way. But like we all go to like the church festivals, but I feel like. You don't just go to the Greek festival unless you're Greek, maybe? Well, I was, I'd ask because I didn't know if Morgan drags you at any point while you guys live together out there. We talked about it, I feel like, on several occasions, but we never actually went. It is a lot of fun. And so in Daytona Beach, it's a big deal, too. I have actually been to the one in Daytona Beach when I've been wow. down there visiting. It's massive. It's like 10 times bigger than the one here, but... When is it? Like, in the summer? <laughs> it is in the summer. Yeah, so, basically, Greek Festival is run by the church. They have a lot of volunteers that, you know, run stands. They do a lot of drawings and raffles. They take donations. They have a lot of vendors selling clothes and art and crafts that people have handmade. They do a lot of Greek food. It's, like, a lot of Greek traditional stuff. They do a lot of performances of, like, Greek dances. It's just, uh, it's a very big ceremony. It usually goes for a weekend. So, this day that Costa became a citizen, Stino's not feeling well. It's actually the first night and, like, opening night of the Greek festival. And the doctor's like, don't go. <laughs> so, Stino is pissed. He's missing it. And, actually, the whole family was, like, set to volunteer because that's how involved with the church they are. So he's like, you know, I'm you guys go ahead. I'm just going to stay here and lay in bed. Like, go ahead. Lisa's brother, Dino. The, all these names sound similar, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Dino actually had been working at the arcade that whole day. 
So Costa leaves. He goes to the arcade to take over for Dino. Dino is set to go meet Lisa and her mother and work at the festival. They get there. Lisa gets there. And they don't really need her right now. So she's like, okay, you know, it's okay if I eat some dinner then. They're like, yeah, go ahead. Well, lady who is working in the church office comes running out and says, Lisa, you have a call from your husband. She runs inside and she, you know, says hello, says hello, doesn't hear anything, says hello again. And she kind of hears some moaning. She looks at the lady and says, husband, was this my father? And the lady says, no, it was your husband. He asked to speak with Lisa Fotopoulos. And she thought that was weird because it's her dad moaning. So, of course, she's panicked, but... Her dad would have never said, hey, can I speak to Lisa Fotopoulos? He'd be like, hey, this is Stino. I want to talk to my daughter. They all know each other at the church. But she doesn't have time to worry about it. She's like, I hear my dad moaning. He's not responding. Something's wrong. So she runs. She goes and finds her brother. And they book it and run it all the way home because they don't live too far. When they get there, her dad's on the floor in the middle of the house. He's sweating, keeps saying he's hot. They call an ambulance, and he's just laying there telling Lisa he loves her. He's hot. He loves her. That's it. Her father ends up passing away that night in the hospital. And when they actually get to the hospital, there's like 30, 40 people in the waiting room. (laughs) Like, all these Greek people left the Greek festival, and they are crowding. You know some Greek, Sydney. Can you guess some stereotypes of some Greek people? <laughs> Loud. Loud. Screaming. <laughs> They're just screaming from the rooftops to this lobby. <laughs> ah! So there's like 30, 40 of them packed into this waiting room. They're loud. They're yelling. They, they're freaking out. They want to know what's going on. And this doctor comes out and tells them, Sino passed away. So... She to Lisa to this day will tell you, you know, that is one of the most dramatic things she's ever been involved in. She said there was wailing, there's screaming, there's cussing when the doctor comes out. And she's obviously devastated. She loves her father. She's very close with him. The doctor straight up tells her, like, listen, I don't know what caused this. It looks like it could have been a heart attack or a brain aneurysm. I'm not 100% sure. We just really want to do some further research. Is it okay if we do an autopsy? And Lisa, you know, just finding out her father passed is like, no. Like, it, how does it, it doesn't matter how he died. He's dead. Like, it's against our religion. Please don't do that. Well, at the funeral home, when they are embalming Sino, they confirm that it was absolutely not a brain aneurysm. There was no blood found in the fluids when they drained the body, and there would be blood in the brain fluids. Sorry, it sounds really gross. If it was a brain aneurysm. They were actually firm believers that it looked potentially like mercury poisoning, But they couldn't prove it without an autopsy or a blood test. So, to this day, they actually don't know what killed Sino. Can I tell you a fun fact, though? Please do. The six weeks before, when Costa was in Greece, he came home and brought home some mercury with him. Because 
He claimed it helped bullets go faster, and he was an avid gun collector. What the hell? So again, has never been proved, but months later, Costa was bragging to some of his friends that he had killed his father-in-law. I'm not going to paint this guy in the best light, so really sorry in advance. Basically, you know, Costa was there the whole time while Lisa was going through this. You know, he wasn't showing a ton of emotion, but he was there for her, didn't leave her side. But by two years into the marriage, their romance definitely started to die. They had gone out with friends all the time. He was very affectionate in public, doing very romantic gestures. And basically that wasn't happening anymore. You know, if Lisa could get Costa to go out with friends, he'd be falling asleep on the couch by 10 and like for game night. Or he'd be leaving and going home early, leaving Lisa to kind of fend to get home by herself. Lots of little things started kind of adding up. As I mentioned, Costa was a gun fanatic, and it really started growing as those years went on. He started carrying guns everywhere and started hunting like crazy. He was always someone that would kind of make jokes about shooting or killing people, and which is, I like to say that it's like morbid, but like, also I think we kind of do that. I probably threatened to no, kill I myself don't. more than anything, though. I think I've done that like five times today alone. Okay, so I just think of my sister who has like really bad road rage, and every time I'm on the phone with her, and she's like, "Move, or I'm gonna hit you." That's really funny because my phone started ringing and she's literally calling me right now. (laughs) Damn, she's going to hear this episode and be like, you're an asshole. But she won't deny it. No. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyways, he was making light of it all the time. Uh, But now it's kind of becoming super erratic. And some people were like, damn, sounds really serious there. He'd be driving with, like, his left hand on the steering wheel, and his right hand would be holding a gun on his lap. Like, that's some psycho shit. (laughs) That made me think of, like, driving with your sister where she'd have her feet out the window. And, like, one, we're driving with a knee, and I often questioned how we got to our destination, but it was fine. You know, as long as she's not closing her eyes while she's driving, I think you're okay. That's happened a few times, too. I know. <laughs> I'm a survivor, guys. I'm a survivor. You've been through it on some road trips. <laughs> We're going to fast forward. It's about March 1988. And things in Costa's life are really kind of starting to, like, unravel a bit. So he had actually, the year before gone and met Lisa's cousin in Milan and had purchased over a thousand fake hundred dollar bills. He had told Lisa he was going to Greece. He was meeting up with her cousin and his sister and he was getting some money from his grandpa who was giving it to him to invest. He came home empty handed and basically told Lisa Oh, it didn't work out, 
you know, he couldn't make it to the bank in Switzerland with us. It's a very long, complicated story. He was pretty upset, so Lisa kind of left it, let it be. What she didn't know is his trip was successful. He got a lot of counterfeit money. <laughs> he had started kind of enlisting his help or enlisting the help of several people in this counterfeit money trade scheme. There was a couple that he had worked with previously, and he got them pretty involved. Their names were Bill and Darlene, I believe, in the book, but I believe those names were changed. So I don't think they're ever were actually disclosed, but we're going to call them Bill and Darlene because that's what the book called them. <laughs> and Casa's really good friend, Peter, who actually had been a really long-standing friend of Lisa's, but when her and Casa got involved, he became like Casa's best friend. So the four of them were basically involved in this counterfeit money scheme. They would gamble with this money. They'd buy stuff and then return it at different locations. Basically, you know, getting the real money out of this fake money. Well, Darlene, the wife, had actually got caught using one of the fake $100 bills. And they ended up picking up her husband as well in Georgia while they were there for a trip. They got out on bail for pending court cases, returned home to Daytona Beach, and Bill went and told Costa what happened. Costa and Peter essentially threatened Bill very clearly with guns and basically told him if they found out he squealed on them, they would kill him. Not no, not sure if you know this, but the Secret Service is actually involved when it comes to counterfeit money. <laughs> Fun fact. Yeah, that was news. That was very much news to me. I read that in an article and I was like, the Secret Service. Yeah, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> so, I thought they more they did a lot more important things than Yeah, well apparently they are like the number one investigators in counterfeit money trade. That is not what those Disney movies back in the day taught me. Let me not tell you. at all. <laughs> Disney Channel lied. So Secret Service ended up getting involved and picking up Bill and Darlene. And they were really trying hard not to flip on Costa. They, like, did not want to risk their lives. So, essentially, they get out on bail on that case. And Costa tells Bill, listen, you need to pack everything. Your wife, your kid. And he gave them $4,800. Told them to drive all the way up the coast to JFK Airport in New York. And leave and fly to Greece. So they wouldn't get caught. They get to Greece. And. They receive some more transactions. And more money. Through Costa's sister. But eventually it stopped. And they were reduced to poverty. Now they were terrified to come home. Like absolutely terrified. Costa had told them. Essentially if you don't stay in Greece. I'm either going to kill your kid. Or I'm going to kill Darlene's parents. But you're going to suffer. So they knew this man was for real, okay? Well, they eventually came back to America, and they actually stayed with Darlene's sister in Syracuse, New York. 
And when they called Costa to inform him, he very much wasn't happy. But he mailed them fake IDs, social security cards, and some money to kind of get started on their new lives. I will tell you that the Secret Service eventually caught up with Bill and Darlene. And this did eventually leave them to lead them to Costa. But by the time the Secret Service got to Costa, he was kind of in some deep shit for some other things. <laughs> Starting in early 1989, recording studio at the south end of the boardwalk had moved out and Costa wanted to move in and open his own pool hall. Lisa was involved in this association that helped clean up the boardwalk. Essentially, they were trying to keep the city from taking over the boardwalk and reclaiming it as imminent, I can't speak, imminent domain. It's a lot. Say that ten times fast. (laughs) Imminent domain. Imminent. No. (laughs) I only if I'm going slow. (laughs) So it was like a lot of legal jargon. I learned all about it. (laughs) But essentially, at this time, the city could claim all that property on the boardwalk if it started getting real scummy. (laughs) Because all essentially saying that those businesses on the boardwalk were contributing and they could resell that property to hotels or big, you know, resort type chains that were looking to actually move in there. So is it specifically like the, so let's say like the business goes vacant and it's just like an empty building and just sits there. Or is it like a mixture of like what is filling up those buildings too? So like, if it's like a scummy, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So at this time, and I'm sure, you know, you visit, I know for a fact you visited Daytona Beach. I'm sure there are people out there Mm -hmm. that have been to Daytona Beach. Very like spring breaker type of area environment. The problem is, just like a lot of tourist areas, is that they have a lot of vagrants in the area, as my mom likes to put it. They have a lot of homelessness issues oh, there. Okay. You know, people will run away or leave their families or leave shitty situations and they end up, you know, in a beach town in a that resort area that's a nicer area. So they have a lot of like late teens, young adults who kind of run away or go on spring break and just stay and kind of flop around. And they have a lot of drug problems even still today. <laughs> that makes more sense. Spring break forever. (laughs) Well, that's, you know, some of these people, that's what they're looking for. (laughs) I just didn't know if it was, like, how, I mean, I I understand the purpose of it. You know, let's get something better in here if it's, like, scummy, but makes sense, makes sense. Well, they, on this association, these people, it was mostly, like, Greek Americans that owned property on the boardwalk. Fun fact, some of my family relatives also did at one point. Um, Actually, at this time, it was some of my family. (laughs) So they were involved in an association because what was happening is there were a lot of, like, homeless people hanging out, a lot of junkies, a lot of women of the night walking around. (laughs) And so they were really trying to prevent this from going, this happening because... 
there was a lot of threat and a lot of properties were trying to move in. However, while Lisa's been fighting this battle for like a year, has been working hard, she worked with the police department, she worked with the city, they really at this point have like cleaned up the boardwalk and it's really starting to kind of restore its old glory that they had at one point. And this old record studio moves out and Costa's like, I want that building. I'm going to turn it into a pool hall. <laughs> I hate him. Lisa was pissed. <laughs> She's like, I've been working my ass off cleaning this up. And you're going to put a pool hall and bring all these people right back. Yeah, seriously. That's the first place they're going to go. Oh, yeah. And so his idea was to call this pool hall Top Shots. And they would have a bar. They fought about it a lot. He was really arrogant. He believed he was right. There was no getting around it. Well, while they're in the process of renovating before they open, it was Costa, his friend, his friend that he had used to, he used to work with at the arcade, actually, and another man who owned a bar in South Daytona. They had agreed to go in on this. And while they're renovating and getting ready to open it, Lisa actually found out she was pregnant. She was super excited. She was 100% ready for this baby. She was really happy. She really didn't know if Costa felt the same way, but he kept saying he did. But she was really just prepared for it. Well, when Top Shots opened, (laughs) all of Lisa's worst fears were confirmed. A lot of the drifters were back and a lot of the homeless people that they had cleaned up from the boardwalk started hanging out. A lot of junkies were there. Lisa didn't go in the first day it opened. Her brother did and he basically called her horrified. And she went in a couple days after it opened and was sick over it. She was actually so stressed that Lisa went home that day and actually miscarried the baby she was in bed and home for a week and costa was never there he was at the bar every day all day he started spending all hours of the day and night there and lisa was really starting to worry at this point if he really still loved her she was pretty upset about it by the summer of 1989 Mind you, they just opened at the beginning of 1989 in, I think it was by July or June they had opened. By that summer of 1989, Costa had met Deidre Hunt. Within weeks of them meeting, they were having a full-fledged affair. I have some fun facts here about Deidre. She was 20 years old and... She had had a rough life. Mom was extremely abusive. Father was never in the picture. She was drinking and using drugs by second grade, according to her own claims. She was arrested for the first time at the age of 12 for breaking into a home. In ninth grade, she had dropped out, started working as a hooker or a drug dealer or wherever she could 
to kind of find a place to sleep at that time because she had moved out. On July 5th, 1987, two years before Deidre met Costa, her and one of her friends actually walked up to a woman sitting in their car, her car, and one of the girls shot her four times. Both girls claimed the other did it. Deidre claimed it was her friend, and she actually made a deal, so she only did six months by ratting out on her friend. And after this, she got out. She really was trying hard to straighten her life out. She was going to cosmetology school, and she got involved with a very abusive man. She actually got pregnant by him, and when he found out, he beat her until she miscarried. Not long after this, he actually split to Daytona, and Deidre followed him. She got there, they got back together, but he started beating her up again, and so she left him. She started working at Top Shots, wearing just a bikini and using her looks to get tips and harassing people for him, and started sleeping with the boss harassing people for tips i love it yeah it was actually it was kind of funny in the book they were like yeah she would give people a hard time and start harassing them if they weren't leaving her a tip <laughs> you you're that cheap come on yeah like more. that's what she was saying <laughs> and it worked she made a lot of money there um and i guess like i said i said it helps you were sleeping with the boss She started learning a lot about Costa that Lisa didn't actually realize. She learned about his counterfeiting. She learned that Costa was actually pimping girls out. He was a smuggler and illegally selling guns. Deidre quickly fell head over heels for Costa. She saw him as this nice, classy guy. He was different from anyone she had ever been around. And he told her he loved her. She really never doubted him. She looked at him like he was the smartest, most powerful man. And those are a lot of things that Lisa didn't give him. You know, Lisa had the money in their relationship. And whereas with Costa and Deidre, it was Costa that had that money. She was also experimental in the bedroom and was open to being submissive to him. And he was into some weird, freaky shit. (laughs) I won't go into details into it, but I learned a lot about it. (laughs) Come on, you can't leave us here like this. Uh, I mean, it was was just like a lot of BDSM type of stuff. Okay, okay. That's what I assume. He was was into like torturing her. I don't even want to know. Never mind. I'll I'll look it up (laughs) later. (laughs) So he actually started putting her up in really nice places, buying her nice clothes and he became extremely possessive over her he was a little upset about her using drugs but kind of was was okay with it after a while but he basically was like no one else is sleeping with you i will kill them and he threatened quite a few people where they thought they were going to kill him casa actually also told deidre he was part of the hunters and killers club And that he had killed eight people. He told her that he was a hitman for the CIA and he worked with the mob as well. She believed it all. 
I want to preface this with none of this has been proved to be true. I guess the Hunters and Killers Club could exist out there, but no one has ever found anything validating this. (laughs) He basically told Deidre he wanted to initiate her into the club, which he called the H&K Club. She would need to kill someone and he would have to record it and he would mail a copy of the video as blackmail to all other members. They all had footage of members killing someone as basically like sort of protection so no one would ever rat anyone out. Supposedly, she actually watched a video of Costa torturing another man tied to a chair and stabbing him. No video evidence has ever been retrieved. I just want to say that. Lisa, at this meanwhile, you know, her and Costa are kind of falling apart a little bit. They've kind of been distant. He's not publicly affectionate. He's still going to, like, family get-togethers and things like that. But he's spending all day and night out, you know, where she thinks at the bar and where he works in. Meanwhile, you know, she's running Joyland. Well, Lisa actually has two instances at late September of 1989 where she is essentially ran off the road by two different pickup trucks. She feels super sketched out. She was like, very worried and threatened and she didn't understand why people were driving so erratically. Costa kind of made light of the situation. They would tease each other a lot, but she just kind of felt really uneasy. Costa wasn't around a lot at this point. She's working one night and she actually gets a call from this woman named Elena. Elena is a wife of one of Costa's partners at Top Shots. And Elena basically tells Lisa, like, hey, you need to get a private detective. I'm telling you this because I'm your friend. She wouldn't tell her why. Lisa's begging her and begging her. And finally, Elena's like, look, I heard your husband's having an affair with one of the girls that works at Top Shots. I'm going to tell you this, but you can absolutely never tell him it was me. And she was, like, terrified that Costa would find out it was her. So she tells Lisa, like, I heard it was Deidre. He's been buying her nice clothes, putting her up in nice places. And apparently this is all coming from Deidre herself, who basically is running her mouth to everyone that she's having this affair. So I had actually read that he, like, had an apartment in his name that she lived in even. Yes. He was, like, not like the sugar daddy. about it. No. Like, it was very obvious from some of the things that I read. Like, everyone that was, I mean, I guess for Lisa, being disgusted by the whole pool hall on its own, you know, that wasn't somewhere that she was hanging out. But it seemed like it was, like, a well-known thing for all the regulars that were there. Yeah, they really didn't hide it from anyone that worked there or any of the regulars. But Lisa wasn't hanging out there, and neither Mm -hmm. was, like, her brother or her family, really. They were a little too classy for that. Uh, Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And so Elena was actually, she was the wife of one of the other partners and owners. And she was the one that told told Lisa because she was like, look, everyone else basically knows. 
you need to know. But, like, good for Elena for being the only one that says something. That's a good friend right there. Those are the Big people facts. you keep in your life. Big facts. So, Lisa actually decides to confront Costa about it that night. They're supposed to go to a movie and dinner. He denies it completely. And he kind of, like, he kind of sells it to Lisa. She kind of believes him, like, oh, Deidre, she's she's too trashy is basically what he says. Like, no, definitely not my type. Thanks, so. <laughs> not happening. <laughs> and they actually get into a heated argument because Costa's like, I need to know who told you that, though. She, he actually was getting so upset that Lisa wouldn't tell him who told her that Lisa was starting to think, like, maybe he was lying. She finally said, look, if you're not having an affair or not, or you're whether you're having an affair or not, I need you to fire Deidre. And he just said, okay. Didn't put up a fight. Just says, okay. So Deidre gets fired. A couple nights later, there's this Greek dance big Greek dance, you know, through the church and all the locals. And they went. He's very attentive. He's very affectionate, just like he was in the first couple years, complimenting her, all the families noticing. And they actually go to Razzles after this. (laughs) Razzle Dazzle! I know you were waiting for that to come up. (laughs) I love Razzles. I had lots of uh, double shot vodka Red Bulls there. And then a lot of other things that cannot be discussed in this podcast or ever again. (laughs) True. Rousel's is a Daytona Beach club. It's actually owned by one of Lisa Paspalaki's family friends. So another, you know, Greek American. They all, the Greeks own everything down there. And uh, it's like a, a club Kind of by a Main Street area, by a bunch of bars and stuff. It's a, like the, the only club in Daytona Beach, essentially. It'll change your life. Just go. <laughs> Highly recommend. Everyone must go to Razzles. Just it's, once in your life. It's better, like, in season when it's actually busy. I've been in season and out of season. Uh, <laughs> but it's interesting, for sure. <laughs> I want to go off season now. It's like empty. So it would just be me dancing around. Literally. And I know we're almost pushing an hour, so I'm I'm almost approaching the part where I'm going to cut everyone off too, so I'm very sorry. I just needed to cover all of the background before <laughs> we got into that extra crazy shit. But anyways, they go to Razzles. When they're leaving, they run into Deidre. And Deidre demands to speak with Peter, who was Costa and Lisa's friend. So he pulls, she pulls him aside. Peter later basically calls Lisa and says, hey, Deidre asked, was asking me all these questions about losing her job, listing all these things that had come up. And Lisa's pissed because she's like, look, Deidre just brought up things to Peter that only Costa and I talked about. So the only way she'd know that is if Costa told her. She, a couple days later, is actually, like, in the house. It's been, like, a rainy day. And, like, notices Costa just, like, went MIA from the house and left. So she gets upset. 
She's like, oh, he better not have gone to Deidre's house. So she drives there. And lo and behold, Koss's BMW is in Deidre's driveway. So before she could even do anything, he gets out. He gets in his car and leaves. And Lisa's pissed. She's like, oh, I'm following him. I'm catching him. And he starts driving driving all erratically and trying to lose her, which eventually he does. And she's, like, livid. So she goes to work (laughs) at Joyland. And he shows up a few hours later. He claims he had no idea she was following him. And Deidre was... He just went there to tell him to leave her, leave them alone, get out of their lives. And after they had ran into Deidre at Razzles, Deidre was like a frequent flyer at Razzles, Lisa found out. So she didn't want to go to their Halloween party that was coming up. And Costa begged her. He's like, look, we got to go. She finally agrees. They mingle. They see Deidre that night. But there's no drama, luckily. Later on, it is discovered that a man with a knife was there and actually tried to kill Lisa. But Lisa had so many friends there that even though Costa stayed far away from her the entire time, she was constantly surrounded by friends. So he never had a chance to. The last event here I will talk about today is the next day, November 1st, 1989. Lisa is working at Joyland, running a bunch of numbers. It's the afternoon her brother went to make his weekly bank drop. And it's about 2 o'clock, and there's a knock on the office door. She looks through the peephole, saw a face of a young black man that she did not know. But he kind of looked familiar, so she opened the door slightly. She kind of kept her foot behind the door, like, a little nervous. Because, like, I don't really know him. But he kind of looked like one of her husband's friends or that he knew her husband. So she was like, oh, maybe he's looking for Costa. She said he looked about to be 20 years old. He smiled, but he seemed kind of nervous. And Lisa was kind of wary. As soon as she opened the door, she realized he's wearing, like, this big overcoat. And it's hot. It's like... <laughs> midday in Daytona Beach. Well, that's when she noticed a gun in his hand. He shoved the gun into her stomach, told her to step inside and close the door, and Lisa froze. She did not move. She did not want to get stuck in the office because there are no windows. Only door is the one she's standing in the middle of. And so she knew if she got stuck in that office with this man with the gun who was seemingly trying to rob her, she would never come out alive. Essentially, Lisa kind of decides to throw the door all the way open. And when the door flinks, she kind of falls and stumbles for a second. And this kid's like freaking out. You know, he has the gun pointed at her. He keeps looking around trying to make sure no one's seeing them. Starts yelling at her like, get in the office, get in the office. Lisa Paspalakis is a badass bitch. She jumps up and yells, you get in there. (laughs) Oh, my God. Books it and runs outside up onto the boardwalk and just starts running. She ran like a block to her aunt and uncle's restaurant where she called the cops. By the time they showed up, this gunman was gone. Talk about some fight or flight. (laughs) She's like... Not happening. <laughs> and honestly, that probably saved her from dying that day. Oh, absolutely. 
But it's one of those things, like, you don't realize, like, okay, if I was in a situation like that, would I react like that? I would not. I'd be way too scared. No, so then you hear about people like this, and it's like, you fucking go, girl. Literally. Like, how many attempts do they have to have on you, and you survived? All of those. That's wild. I'll say this, that right now it's looking like there's four potential opportunities for Lisa to get hurt or murdered. At Razzles, these two car incidents, and now this. So looking a little shady, and Lisa is feeling pretty shaken up. And she has no idea what is in store and what is coming. <laughs> Neither do you, listeners. Neither but do you. you can find out next week. I'm so sorry. I know it's a long episode. I just felt like there was so much wild background information. I had to include it. There's way more background than, well, okay, so I didn't listen to the read or listen to the audiobook like Peyton did. So she's got way more information (laughs) than I did. But it's wild. Yeah. I mean, I knew a lot of the part two stuff I'm going to be telling. But a lot of the stuff that I learned that I talked about today was just like brand new information. I cut out a lot of stuff. <laughs> I just want you guys to Oh, I'm to know. sure. I cut out so much stuff and, like, fluff. And then other details I could have gone on tangents about. But, man, there was just so much wild stuff and wild coincidences. And I just fully want you guys to understand, like, the background of these people before we get into part two and the events that are going to follow. So, hopefully you come back next week. <laughs> And listen to this crazy love triangle between Deidre, Lisa, and Costa and how it turns out. If they don't come back with a cliffhanger like this, y'all got some problems. Big facts. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I can wait a whole week. Well, good news, Sydney. You already kind of know what happened. (laughs) It's not the same. It's not the same. You might have more facts for me. I do. Don't worry. (laughs) Stay tuned for next week, folks. But before we leave, Sydney, do you have a joke? All right. So we had uh, Cinco de Mayo this week. Yes. So, Peyton, how much Mexican food did you plan to eat this Cinco de Mayo? I mean, some, but not. That's not your business. (laughs) I like that one. Man, that was bad. I mean, it's not any worse than the other ones. (laughs) It's all about the... Yikes. (laughs) Sorry, y'all. I know the jokes are the best part. We get a lot of requests. Also... I guess it's going to be two weeks. This episode isn't going to air until the 18th. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> and it's the 6th right now while we're recording. But shouts out to Brandy, our first contest winner on Instagram. Yes. Just wanted to share. You get your shout out eventually. Hopefully you listen and hear it. <laughs> Fingers crossed for that. Well, like and follow us on Facebook at 
Tacos and Tequila Podcast. T-E-K-I-L-L-Y-A. And on Instagram, just Tacos and Tequila. You can also send us a message on Gmail, tacosandtequila at gmail.com if you have a case you want us to handle in the future. Yeah, or any creepy stories. Eventually, yes. I'd like to be able to do like a listener's episode or listener tales type of episode and any creepy weird stories if you guys have any like ran into a serial killer or <laughs> but survived like, we, we, like phone a friend like hey <laughs> yeah like you tell oh, me your hey, story i had this creepy incident and i would love to tell the world about your creepy incident we don't have to tell people your information your name or anything but we want to know your stories yeah, that'd be that really cool, be actually. Cool. Get in my DMs <laughs> with that stuff. Big facts. You can DM either one of us or on our social media pages. And someone will respond within one to three business days. Yeah, some days are better than others, guys. Sorry, we both work full-time. Sydney's also in school. We have been We're hanging out by a thread. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with us, though. And we will... See you guys next week. See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>